Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hey guys, it's Kayla. Candace isn't able to join us today, but we are all still so directionally challenged. We thought we would have it all figured out by the time we were in our 30s, but surprise, we don't. And that's okay. It really is okay. I want you to imagine for a moment the person you love most in the world. Do you have them in your mind? You got them? Okay, now imagine them waking up and not knowing who they are. And not only do they not know who you are, but they believe that you are an imposter, someone pretending to be your loved one, someone pretending to be you. Imagine what living like this is like. That is what this morning's guest, Abby Morgan, experienced and what today's episode is all about. Abby Morgan didn't just write this beautiful memoir brilliantly titled This Is Not a Pity Memoir. She has also done countless plays and 
a lot of movies and television shows that you have all watched. She is a brilliant writer. But today we're going to talk about her memoir and her life for the past few years and how it truly feels as if the, her life in the past few years is something out of a movie or a play. So without further ado, I'm going to take us right into my lovely interview with Abby Morgan. And we are here with Abby Morgan. Abby, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thank you so much for having me. What a delight. <laughs> You're so lovely. And, you know, I'd love to just jump right in and start at the beginning of all of this. If you feel comfortable, can you take us back to that one afternoon, just a normal afternoon like any other, where you return home to find your longtime partner and father of your two kids, Jacob, collapsed on the bathroom floor? Yeah. And so ensues the start of what feels like several crazy years now. You're right. It was it was mid-June 2018. It was an incredibly hot day. I came home, you know, thinking I was really like juggling life incredibly well. You know, I'd managed to do my work, pick up my sushi, get my coffee. And when I when I went upstairs to check on Jacob, he hadn't been feeling well that morning. I'd really put it down to man flu. I found him collapsed, as you say, on the bathroom floor, and it became really apparent within seconds that something was seriously wrong. He was, I describe it as like his needle got stuck. He was repetitively speaking. And so I very quickly, I called, you know, I called an ambulance and Jacob was blue lit to hospital. And so began the first couple of weeks where they just tried to work out what was wrong with him. And as they honed in on everything from, you know, could it be meningitis? Could it be some form of Italian tick? We'd recently be on holiday to our house in Italy. You know, could he have developed Lyme's disease? Was he having a nervous breakdown? Slowly, Jacob's sort of physically, psychiatrically, cognitively started to unravel. And it became apparent within those two weeks that actually Jake would, was going to be needed to be placed in a medically induced coma. And so he was placed in a coma at the end of June 2018, and he woke up at the end of January 2019. So nearly seven months in the end in, in, in a coma, which was beyond surreal. If anyone's gone through that kind of medical crisis, it's just the weirdest thing. And I guess in many ways, I'm a screenwriter. You know, it's I'm kind of used to these kind of tropes, but I think the plot twists that then ensued following that I had not expected. And, you know, I, I, I you know, I, I examine other people's lives all the time, but it, it became apparent that my own life for once was the biggest drama around, really. And so, yeah, and so that's really the starting point for what was to be a really life-changing moment for Jacob, but also for us as a family and particularly for us as a couple. Right. And for those who are listening who have yet to read This Is Not a Pity Memoir, which is such a great title, by the way. It's such a good title for a <laughs> memoir. I love it. You know, you said you set out to write. You had the, a hate story inside of you. It, what You didn't know it would become a love story because this experience, as you can imagine, is just wildly difficult. I mean, you can't even really find the words to describe what it would truly be like to go through this. But it. Can you talk to us about how it evolved, how it became this love story in your process of writing it? I think, you know, what happened, uh, you know, put broadly, when Jacob woke up from his coma, you know, he had developed something, you know, he'd basically developed this very rare delusion. He was obviously had a physically, mentally, cognitively had a long way to go. But what was amazing and what we were punching the air about was that he, you could see he was there was still part of Jacob there, you know, there was, we'd been given the very worst prognosis. So Jacob woke up and as I say, he developed this really rare 
delusion, which was he had developed a thing which is known as it's the delusion of imposters, the belief in the double. And the double idea is that he no longer could recognise the person close to him, closest to him, really, which in this case was me. And that though he knew that he had a partner, Abby Morgan, he just could not believe that I was the Abby Morgan. And so that's where the split. No, didn't he believe that you were sent from the government or something as someone to... Absolutely. I mean, the one thing I, you know, the most incredible thing is that when your brain, you know, is kind of hit by something terrible and destructive and, you know, your conscience, once you start to wake up, tries to make sense of it. And so it's known as fabulation. It's when there are gaps in your memory, gaps in your understanding, you know, gaps because of injury or, or, or damage. And of course, you know, these kind of things can happen post a traumatic brain injury. So if you have a car crash or certainly later in life through dementia, but it's very rare for it to come out. What we discovered was an encephalitis that Jacob had developed, and it's called anti-NMDA receptor encephalitis and otherwise known as brain on fire. And so we'd seen this very crazy period before he went down into his coma. But when he came out, he was very calm. They'd managed to kind of put out the fire that was going on in his brain. And it was really about the start of Jacob's recovery. But he woke up and, of course, he recognised everybody. He recognised his family. He recognised his children. He recognised the world around him. He had a very strong sense of who he had been. But he just couldn't place me. And and so began the kind of fabulation, which was the belief that, you know, at first he kept on saying, could you go out of the room, please? I, d- I don't know who you are. I don't know what you're doing here. And then one day he really sat upon this idea that he said, you know, I've worked it out. You work for the state. You've been sent by the state to help me and my children get better, haven't you? And I realised he was not only making sense of his world, but he was also giving me a kind of license to stay in the room. And so that was when I went, yes, you're right. Yep, I have. I'm I'm here to look after you and your children. And that's really where it began. But I mean, to go back to your question previously, which was, did I set out to write a love story? I didn't. You know, it came out of, you know, all the pain and the, you know, the bizarre strangeness of the situation. And in many ways, the kind of forced reflection that comes out of, you know, if someone's in a coma for seven months, you find yourself, you know, not you've not only lost your best friend and your partner and the father of my children, I, you know, he'd gone out of my life, but I was suddenly left with this physical jeopardy around Jacob with which is whether he would he stay alive. And so that's when I started to talk to Jacob in my head and and that when he woke up and I realized that actually, although he was physically now present, he had mentally gone somewhere else, or certainly he'd mentally placed me somewhere else. I started to not only sort of write as if I was telling the story to somebody, anyone who would listen, and believe you and me, you know, I stopped everybody from friends to strangers to the barista at the coffee shop, anybody I could find, I found myself just spilling over with this story. I realised that I needed to get it down on the page, but also I needed to leave some kind of blueprint for him. And in writing about his story and the hope that one day he would read it I also realized I was kind of investigating what we had been together what who we were and so I found myself very naturally going back to that very first meeting which actually you know if you read the book you'll understand the title it really came out of the very first conversation I had with Jacob which was you know, I, I was chasing a, a, a really beautiful memoir at the time because as a film writer, I was really interested in the film rights for this memoir. And 
I was sitting opposite a very drunk girl. And when I started to describe this beauty, beautiful memoir, she went, oh, I hate those pity memoirs. And I mean, she was she was a little more blue in her language when she said it, but she was really rude. And Jacob, who was, you know, happened to be a guest and was sitting next to her and who I didn't know, kind of chipped in and went, I didn't, I don't, I love that book, it's brilliant. And I was immediately struck by his warmth and his openness and his generosity and, it, and his interest in storytelling. And so, you know, cut to 18 years later when he collapsed, I knew that the one thing Jacob loves more than anything is stories. He loves movies, he loves theater, he's an actor. And so I found myself talking to him and really going right back to that first conversation, to that first meeting, and really starting to piece together who we were as a couple, who I was to him, who he was to me. Because I think when someone denies your identity, you have to go in search of it. And I guess I was going in search of the identity of who we were, what our relationship had been. And you're right, my God, was I angry. My goodness, did I feel great pain and fury and, and hate at times. But I knew, and the thing that surprised me was that I still felt this tremendous love and interest in Jacob and a desire to help him get better. And there was a moment where I started to have to accept that if he was not going to come back to me, I might be able to bring him back to himself, if that makes sense. And so that became a real motivation for me because I knew if I could find help him find himself, then he would find his way back to being a father again and being a son again and being a friend again. And I hoped to finding a way back to me. So really it was a very active, an active fight to to do that in writing it, but also to keep my sanity, I guess. That was also what was going on. That's what I wanted to ask you is to talk about the the feeling of what that even feels like to be in a room and have your loved one recognize every single other family member except for yourself and the the heartbreak of that. And then also, you know, having to rise above it because you have children and also having to have that conversation with your children. I believe they were teenagers at the point. Yeah, right? they were they were 14 and 16. I, I, I refer I I describe them as not being quite cooked. They were almost cooked. You know, I think Jake and I were really enjoying. I think we were very lucky. We really loved having teenagers. You know, I, I think teenagers get a lot of bad flat, but I, I don't know how we got it. But we got lucky with our teenagers. They're great. They're great young, young people. So I think we were really enjoying that. And we had loads of trips planned. You know, we were going to South Africa and we'd had a trip planned to Tokyo and we love skiing. And so we, there were lots of adventures ahead of us. But I think to answer your question, you know, I think the biggest feeling is it's spooky. And it's the only word, it's spooky. It's really unsettling. And even talking to you now, which, you know, we're, I'm over four years on from the experience of that first period, it still spooks me that it happens. And it still deeply chills me that, as I refer to in the book, you know, effectively are what makes us human what makes us real is consciousness and that these brilliant, wonderful, you know, organ, which is our brain, is also a, a clinical, biological, neurological structure. And when that gets damaged, then we lose ourselves and who we are. And so I think when I first went into the room and Jacob behaved in this way, I felt really chilled. It was very unsettling. But then it became hysterical, ridiculous, bonkers, crazy. And then you start to tire of it. And that's when the anger starts and the fury starts. And I realized I needed to capitalize on that anger and that fury and use it as a kind of energy. So I started to convert the anger and fury into a kind of energy and a 
a fight really to get Jake back. And I, and it became very powerful for me, that feeling of like, I'm not going to let this happen. I refuse to be ignored and I refuse for you to write me out of your existence and I will find a way back and I will help you find a way back to me. And it was very odd. I mean, it sounds like it was, I mean, it sounds like I had some grand plan. I really didn't, but I was incredibly driven. And I guess, you know, I'd spent 18 years with Jacob and like, you know, I'm brutal about our relationship. We had really good times and we had really bad times. And, you know, we, we'd had marriage counseling and we'd had great joy. And we were, we were at a point in our lives where I think we both felt incredibly lucky that we had, we had each other. And, you know, he was my best friend and is my best friend. And, that love I felt for him was really palpable. But I don't think anybody tells you when, when someone you get, who you who has been the, the absolute fulcrum of your life gets sick, you're reminded in many good ways that they are owned by the collective. They're part of a bigger family than your little unit. But at the same time, that's also something you have to navigate because they no longer, it just becomes about that unit, you, you know him your children the life you have together but it becomes a unit that encompasses family who are brilliant and amazing but suddenly he is owned there is a huge amount of jeopardy around him living for everybody and then you have doctors and nurses and carers and lawyers you know who have to come in and you, you have to deal with lawyers to so it, it the world around that person gets bigger and bigger and bigger and it was happening at a time where I was shrinking and my connections with Jacob um, intellectually and cognitively was shrinking for him. So I had to find another way to arrest his back, his attention. And so I used the most, one of the most important things to Jacob, which is food. <laughs> he loves food, you know? So I started to invite him out for lunches and teas. And, and I knew that he hated hospital food and he, he needed me to bring him, you know, green juice in the morning and an amazing cake or a fantastic salad. And then when he got well enough to be able to come out in a wheelchair, I'd wheel him to a cafe and he'd need me to wheel him back. So I started to become essential. And then he needed he needed his iPad and he needed his Netflix password and he needed his, his favorite newspaper and he needed his favorite t-shirts. And he started to see that I was a portal to, to this sort of greater life. And so I started to notice he, he was looking out for me when I arrived and he went from being disinterested to tolerating me to being delighted to see me to actually starting to welcome me it took months but it did start to happen hey guys we're going to take a quick break we'll be right back in just a minute small details are big surfaces tight corners are odd shapes flat rounded textured or tall whatever your next project there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. It's time to get more in 2024. I know for me, one of my goals is to feel really strong this year. And honestly, so far, so good. Because that's where 310 Nutrition comes in. It's helping me and our listeners in the new year with protein and super rich food products with so many options and flavors. Right now, I have the chocolate bliss and caramel sundae, and they are both so (laughs) delicious. I have to hide them from my husband so that he doesn't steal them too. They're a triplex protein blend, plant-based proteins that include pea, brown rice, and pumpkin that leave me feeling full. 310 Nutrition also has a hydrate electrolyte drink mix. My favorite is the peach mango flavor. So not only am I hydrating and drinking water, I have an electrolyte blend, vitamin blend, and it's sugar-free. With one stick of hydrate mix into 16 ounces of water, and it can provide the same amount of hydration equal to drinking two to three bottles of water. Thank you. This way I can keep my resolution, keep feeling strong, have greater focus, feel refreshed, and maintain my hydration without having to drink as much. One of my favorite refreshing water enhancers they have is the lemonade flavor. It gives me energy. This one's also sugar-free. It's used with real lemons and it's pH balanced. And this also offers the same hydration as two to three bottles of water. Right now, 310 is celebrating a new year of goals with code CHALLENGED and giving our listeners 50% off up to $100 for your first order. With so many sample packs, new products, it's really fun and easy to put together an order or start a subscription on products that you know you'll use and will help you keep your resolution. So go to 310nutrition.com and use the code CHALLENGED right now for 50% up to $100 for your first order. That's 310-nutrition.com and use code CHALLENGED. It's all the good stuff your body needs in flavors you crave. So be healthier effortlessly. And we're back. Was there a, a specific moment you remember where you thought, oh, I've I've got him. I, I see this twinkle. I see him recognizing me. Was there a moment like that or was it just a sort of, you know, 
just a bunch of days together that you remember. I, I can't imagine what that must have felt like. Well, I mean, I obviously, you know, if you have someone close to you, you can imagine the kind of intense love and passion that is there. And that didn't go for me. But I I think it was there was a slow softening. But I do remember a very clear moment. I mean, there was obviously another big dramatic plot twist of which I was really frustrated because I felt it was a really bad plot twist in the, the story or the the screenplay or the player, whatever this 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 sort of fallout of words was going to become, I got very sick. I suddenly, you know, and it, Jacob woke up in the end of January, beginning of February, and as he started to move into rehab in the kind of April period, I started to feel a pain in my chest, and you know, I it was like I had been kicked by a horse in high heels, and I thought at first, oh, well, it must be my seatbelt, or I'm just eating really badly, or I'm just not exercising enough. Um, or I'm tired, but actually, thank goodness, a really good girlfriend said, listen, you know, just get it checked out. So I went in to see my my consultant and within 20 minutes of him seeing me, he said, I'm 99% sure you've got breast cancer. And he was right, I developed stage three, grade three breast cancer. And although that was a complete curveball, another complete side sweep, you know, to go back to your question, when did you start to realize that Jacob was there was a flicker in his eyes was was actually I went very quickly I had to go into treatment and I started my chemotherapy at the same time as Jacob was in hospital and you know at this point we looked so odd you know we'd gone from being a relatively I like to think you know vital healthy you know very kind of energized charismatic couple really you know and not always you know there were days when we were incredibly lazy but you know we all have days yeah we all have days but we were you know we were an energetic couple we love to travel we love to ski we love to you know we've got a house in Italy we love to hang out there we went from that to him being in a wheelchair and me being you know losing all my hair and feeling very unwell but I still would in between my chemos I'd go in and see him and there was one day where I lost all my hair and I was incredibly bloated from steroids and we went round to our local little Italian restaurant we like to like to go to and we were sitting outside in the sunshine and he looked at me and I have a very flat back of the head I've uh, when I we used to joke Jacob and I it was because my mother had never moved me in my pram I just got pushed out <laughs> in the garden and left hours and it had just it had just set that way but I just remember him looking at me and then reaching forward and touching the back of my head and cupping the back of my head and saying your head is flat at the back and I went yeah and he went like Abby Morgan and I went yeah like Abby Morgan and I just saw this flicker of something's not right here that doesn't make sense. And I could see that something was punctured. And then really, I guess the biggest thing that happened was that, you know, if you still said to Jacob, am I, he referred to the real Abby Morgan as Abby Morgan and me as Abby. He started to accept that I could be called Abby. But if you said to him, so where is Abby Morgan? And he'd say, she's gone away. She's got a new life with someone else. And that never changed. That was absolute. But what I noticed is when he came home, I my my chemotherapy was going on. Jacob was now at home and we had carers and we had rehab assistants helping us. But I'd noticed that um, when I was having my chemotherapy in our upstairs living room, we have an upstairs and a downstairs living room. London houses tend to be on lots of floors and I live in a very tall four-story house. He sort of made his way up one day and it took a lot for Jacob to start to shuffle upstairs, but I could hear him shuffling upstairs. And I saw him put his head around the door when I was having my chemo and I was just lying on, on my sofa and with my wonderful nurses who were just amazing, who looked after me. And he just put his head around the door and I said, and I looked at him and I said, are you okay, honey? And he went, yes, just checking. 
And there was something in that moment that I saw he cared. And I think he couldn't understand why he was cared so much. And so in a very strange way, although I would never wish cancer on myself or anyone in the world, it's grueling. It does have its gifts. And I think the one thing it did was it started to puncture and really force Jake, I think, his neural pathways, because one of the things I'd hoped, I'd read about, I'd held on to was that the brain has an incredible power to re-navigate its way around damage. Jacob had experienced brain damage, in the, particularly in the frontal lobe area. And I started to realize that Jacob, through this emotional feeling he was having towards me, his neural pathways were starting to reconfigure. But it really took until about March, sort of March 2020. So he's, he, he, it took a year, over a year, a year and a half, if I'm honest. But he then started to just say, one day he saw a photo of me on his iPad and he pointed at it and I pointed at it. And I said, I was pointing at my face and pointing at it and pointing at my face. And there was just a moment in that moment where he looked at me and he said, yes, I'm starting to think there are similarities. And it was a photo of the two of us taken a long time before he had got ill. And, and that was really where it started to shift. And I started to realize that he was accepting me. And so it, was, it wasn't one moment, but it was a series of moments. Yeah. So it was, it was the start, really. How, you know, I just, I, I don't even have words right now because the thought of, you know, just one family going through a mother having breast cancer which my family went through, I went through with my mom. So I completely understand how difficult that is on everyone. And I can't even begin to understand what it would be like with, is it Capgras syndrome? Is my pronounced? Capgras. Capgras, thank you. Capgras. I can't even begin to think about what it would be like with Capgras syndrome. And then you pile all of that onto one family. And as you say, you guys were you know, deeply bound to each other. You love to travel. You loved having teenagers. So, but even a family that starts like that, I can't imagine piling all of that onto you guys and then having you come through and make it through. I mean, this truly is, has a happy ending, but there were, mo there had to have been moments where you're getting chemo and then he's in, the, I mean, there's just, I can't even imagine what, what got you through the day? in those low moments what was i mean as you say is it was it writing did you take pen to paper was it a, did you watch movies what it, what got you through the day because you have to mentally stay so strong repeatedly for day after day to make it through something like this i think i'm still processing it what what got me through i think in the in the literal sense and it sounds ridiculous but it's all those it it's all those skeleton of our life that was in place so it, that, that our house you know, we were very fortunate. I'm, I am under no illusions how pri privileged we were. You know, it was a house that we had lived in. You know, we've lived in for, for 18 years now. And like the house, we'd grown with it. And Jacob, it, Jacob, the house is, is the heart of our lives. And we've done a lot of work on it. And Jacob has done a lot of work in it. So every day, particularly when we brought Jacob home, I was... I, I kind of knew that he would start to reconnect with himself and those feelings that he felt towards our lives together. And, and you know, one of the interesting things about Capgras is it's the separation between the visual and the emotional. It's a literal nerve severance. And one of the things I didn't realize is that part of what happens when you look at someone is that there is a neural path, pathway to the feeling 
nerves in us. So we feel something when we look at someone and that's how we identify them. But when that gets severed in relation to someone, you look at someone and you may look at them and think they look like someone I know. I know that they are that person, but I don't feel anything. I have no feeling for them. And that's where the brain starts to say, so they can't be who they say they are. So it's a very profound. So even that, you know, all of those, those things that have been so important to us, our house, our dog, our much loved dog, the framework of our friendships, the garden, the metronome of my working life. You know, I was in the middle of shooting a series. I write a, a, a series for BBC and AMC called The Split. And we were on the second series of that. We were shooting that. So I was still writing and doing little bits. I was starting to prep for the third series. So I had an amazing team of editors and producers who would come and, you know, when I was really sick, they would come and sit in my bedroom and and, and and edit my work for me and be there or they'd let me come for meetings and lie down you know and have sleeps in between meetings and you know I had this incredibly fortunate thing which is the, the my place of work is only 10 meets 10 minutes from the hospital Jacob ended up in so it was it was a series and a constellation of 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 gifts that that really helped me and Jacob and I were very lucky both our families live in London so we had an incredible infrastructure of family who picked us up and cooked for us and supported us however anybody listening to this you know nobody is immune nobody is you know nobody can get through this without damage no one can get through this without help and I would be lying if I didn't say there were incredibly bleak days I mean it's super bleak days where you think I can't get through this and I found the only way I could get through it was to actively chase and embrace joy. And joy could be anywhere. Joy could be, you know, having a piece of toast with that beautiful pot of honey that someone gave me and sitting with the sun in my face. Joy could be Love Island, which I don't know if you have in the US, but it's a truly, <laughs> truly... We, we do have it, but I've t I'm told that yours is far superior. Oh my ours. God. Well, it's a truly <laughs> joyous, you know, low rent brilliant trashy show and you know I, I had a love island evening with all my girlfriends and all our, our our teenage daughters and that was fun and and you know my physical my dog the hug of my children I mean you know being able to have Jake physically in the space was huge for me you know when Jake was in the coma no one told me how physically I could still stay connected to that person how you know, so having Jacob home, although he didn't recognize me, I recognized him. I could be next to him. I could sit next to him and I could feel him even if he couldn't feel me. So I think all of those things got me through, but it was devastating and it continues to have its its implications for us. You know, my children lost four years with their father. He missed really profound things. You know, it's it, it you know, it was devastating for both my kids and you know, never have I appreciated more how hard it is to bring up children on your own. You know, my my admiration for single parents goes up tenfold because it's a it's not just the obvious physical things of having to organize a life, you know, the life of your children, the both, you know, physically, financially, you know, socially and, and the life of your house and the business of a family that and, and work at the same time, but also you've lost that person who, that one other person who understands how you feel about your children, that one other person who shares with you an understanding of the joy of a great report card or the sadness when you see your kids go through the, you know, not getting into that football team. And, you know, that was incredibly hard and, and we have had to navigate and, um, you know, come to terms with those losses. But 
as you said, it did have a happy ending. You know, I don't think I ever thought that we would get back to where we got back to. You know, it's, it, it you know, I don't think I ever thought that we would find our way home. But, you know, I, uh, you know, we did. And I feel incredibly fortunate for that. And really what happened has been a really slow burn. You know, it's been about coming to terms with the losses, of which there have been many, but also starting to embrace the gains. And I think the biggest gain is that, you know, I came through my cancer, it was hard, but I came through it and I'm two years clear. And I every day, you know, I stay, I stay, I say, you know, I grab that, I hold that in my hands. I feel for the world who's going through it right now. If anyone's listening to this and is going through any kind of treatment, I'm with you, I've been there, it's dark. Chocolate really helped me. That's all I can tell. <laughs> I, who knew the joy of a great bar of chocolate, a cup of tea, and a great piece of television or a great movie? But we find our way home. And Jake's and the other thing I take don't take for granted is is life. And you know these all sound like terrible platter platitudes you put on a t shirt. They really do. And I know that it, you know it's it's very du- difficult to enjoy the moment. And you know of course there are there are you know I, it's an active state now. But I think I really take guidance, inspiration from Jacob himself. You know Jacob has had to learn how to walk, talk, reconnect, piece his, his whole identity back together, piece his life back together. And I've watched him do that. And he has such a joy and a fight for life. And in May of this year, so May 2022, Jacob collapsed in June 2018. May of 2022, the last carer left our home. And Jacob now rides a bicycle. He loves to travel on his own. He can live his life every day on his own. Um, Yes, he has some cognitive physical disability that will always be there. And, you know, the truth is Jacob has an underlying condition of MS, which we had always used as a kind of provocation to embrace life and enjoy it as long as we could. But certainly that is something that we know is starting to happen and will deteriorate his physical life. But for the moment and for now, for today, we you know, he's back and we are really enjoying our life together. I mean, the sadness for me is my children, my my daughter's about to go off traveling and I'm so glad and excited for, you know, Costa Rica and South America and then the university and college life she has to come. And my son is now studying neuroscience in Edinburgh. But what we missed together was the last four years of our children being at home. And I know Jacob has woken up and kind of is holding onto the last bit of thread of that and not realizing it's, you know, that, that that part of their childhood we lost. But what we have gained and what we're, I feel so grateful for is we've, we've suddenly found ourselves together alone in this house going, okay, what should we do to get together now? And he, he's got, his spirit of adventure has come back, you know, tenfold. So, you know, every month he wants to try a new country or a new place or a new restaurant or a new movie or meet new people. And there's a joy to him now. He, he is, as he says, a little extra. That's the way Jacob describes himself. And he's definitely a little extra. You know, you can't go anywhere now with Jake without Jacob wanting to say hello and communicate and say, you know, he's very outgoing, much more outgoing than he was before. It's a little bit like living with Willy Wonka. I have to say that's how we describe it. It's like living with, <laughs> there is a sort of, there is a kind of Truman Show quality to Jacob. You know, he is sort of very in the moment, I'd say. Oh, that's, I mean, what a wonderful way to come out of that and to have that. And it does sound like life is even more of an adventure than it was before. Hey guys, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back in just a minute. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, 
flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Cool fact: a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. back and just going back for a minute because i i want to know how you even begin to talk to your kids about something like this i have a, a three-year-old and also we have a, a newborn baby who's three months old oh my god and, and so, you look so good really, how do you oh, look so good oh it's through the lens believe me it's called a little bit of makeup but yes thank you no but we we definitely talk about, you know, having to have the tough conversations with our kids where we are in life. We have yet to do so really have to have one of those tough conversations. But I can't even imagine feeling so alone, like you said, losing your partner for that time in your life and then having to deal with these, you know, it's hard enough to be an adolescent and go through life. Um, but then to also have to have a conversation with them about, hey, your dad may not make it through the night or he I don't know what's next. How do you even begin to do that? I, you know, I think uh, there's a kind of brutality and kind of fearless honesty in, in the way I wrote this. And it really came out of being so frightened at times. You know, there's nothing more frightening than realizing that someone may not survive the night. And I had to tell our children three times that their dad might not survive. And the only way I can describe it is. I didn't speak to anybody else but them. They were the first people who needed to hear this news. And I felt really strongly, and I made a mistake in the first few months, which is when Jacob, it became apparent that Jacob needed to be placed into an, a coma. My daughter, who was just 14 at that time, and was really the baby of our house, I didn't bring her in to say goodbye to her dad before he was placed in a coma. And I will, I really struggled with that. And she really struggled with that. It's the one mistake I made through the whole process. I made many mistakes, but it was the one that perhaps stays with me. And I vowed from that moment that I wouldn't do that again. And so I always made sure that I could sit in what I was going to say first. I could sit in it and I could hold it. And I found if I could sit and go, dad might die tonight. You know, he may not live through the night. I very simply went in and said, this is going to be really hard for you to hear, but we are going to get through this. And dad might not get through the night, but we're going to get through this. And we're going to go together now to the hospital to see him. And every time I did it, I would just sit in. I would keep my language as simple and as honest as possible. I'd never flower it. I wouldn't show, sugarcoat it. But I would give them reassurances that we had the strength and we would find the strength to get through it. And that, I don't know, that that was a survival mechanism. That wasn't any great intellectual, you know, therapized kind of advice I took. 
or found, I just realized that I was scared. And when you're scared, the thing that scared me even more was the thought of my children being scared. And so I needed to hold their fear and I needed to be brave. And there's a there was a very key moment where Jacob was two weeks in and it looked like he may not get through. And I witnessed it. I was standing watching as he was crashing. And I turned to the doctor and I said, is he going to die? I need you to tell me. I need to know because I have teenage children. And that came from, I still don't know where that came from, but where it came from is a, a need to be strong for them because the greatest gift that Jacob had given me was those children. And even if Jacob wasn't there, those children were there. And I knew that he would need them to survive in any way they can. I would say that they will be navigating and talking about and trying to understand this experience throughout their life. They are now teenagers, late teens now, 18 and 20, and they are going out into the world and they're having fun. And I want them to go and have joy and laughter and make mistakes. But I imagine that they will reflect on this and only truly understand what they've gone through the older they get. Because right now, you know, I think nature is going, go forth and have a good time. Right. But also, did you not say your son was studying neuroscience? Yeah. And I think that's the other thing. I think, you know, what was very interesting with the neuroscience is that Jacob has always instilled a real interest in science in our kids. Ironically, as we're a family of artists, you know, both Jake and I, our parents are producers and directors and actors and you know we've all got that we come from that we've 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 born scientists and there was a there was method in that you know <laughs> Jacob really encouraged science you know he's a big you know he's always been fascinated by ideas of the universe that's really his faith and his religion and and so he passed that on to our son and in fact it was Jesse who did the research and said mom I, I think dad's got this thing called Capgra and so it was it was Jesse who really was the first to, to voice it and then we took that into Jake's um, neuropsychiatrist at the hospital. And he said, I'd be really surprised if it was that. It's really unusual. But then when he did more research, he went, actually, I think you're right. I think it is that. So I think that's where Jesse's real interest. But also I think it was the way Jesse really learned how to understand what was happening to his dad was that when he started to literally understand scientifically what had happened to the neurons in Jacob's brain and the way this visual sort of optical nerve disconnect was taking place when he understood it from a scientific point of view. I think that's how he's helped make sense of the world. I think my daughter, she's she wants to be a marine biologist. So I think mm. my son, my son is going to the brain and my sister my daughter <laughs> is just going into the water. You know, I think it really represents the two of them. You know, they're very different characters. And so I think they're finding their way and their understanding weirdly through science and the natural world. No, and obviously it's part of their healing process too, for them to go out and, you know, just continue to learn and you're as you say, live. And what a wonderful parent you've been through this whole experience. And I don't just say that lightly. I, I genuinely mean that. As a mother, I read how well you handled it with your children and thought, wow. And and I think you're right. It is an instinct you just have. It's just an instinct within yeah, you. Yeah, I, absolutely. I don't think I'm anything divine. I literally, you know, I can't tell you how chaotic I am as a person. There are many things I get wrong. But I think, you know, when it comes to our children, it's, they are our, our navigational part. They are the emotional star, aren't they? They're our North Star. And I don't know if I would have behaved in the same way if I hadn't have had my children. I think my children were my inspiration. I think they were my drive. I think they were my connection with Jacob. You know, when I was missing Jacob, I would see the way my son would look at me and it would remind me of, of him. You know, I would, my daughter is very easy to laugh. She's very, she's a nap. She, she, she always sees the joy in things and 
that's very much Jacob. And so my children were really the thing I held on to. But, you know, one of the things about the book being out in the world and, you know, I'm a screenwriter, you know, I, always, I love drama. It's not my, but it's, so it's very unusual for me to do a book form. It's very unusual for me to write about my own life. It's very unusual for me to take the drama of my life and put it down in, though, in that way in these pages. But one of the things that's been really moving is how many people have reached out to me who are, either dealing with the intensive care ICU experiences at the moment or have gone through, you know, they've either directly or indirectly related to someone who's got a brain injury. I hear stories again and again of incredible courage and incredible stories of recovery and, and of loss. And I think we did get lucky. You know, this story could have gone another way. And that's in part the constellation of our lives and what we had in place. In part, that's the strength of Jacob. And then the third part is, we just got lucky, you know, we got lucky. I, it, you know, it felt at times we were very close to the edge of the cliffs and we just managed to, but as I talk about in the book, I'll never forget that there is a cliff. And I, as someone who deals with deadlines every day, I had forgotten about the ultimate deadline, which is mortality. And I try and live not frightened of death now. I try and see death as a thing that's, it's a natural part of a cycle in life, but I don't want it yet, but it will make me live even harder in life you know it 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 it's really does it really does make me feel like life is not forever and i think you know i'm i'm much i'm a much older woman than you and i'm you know i'm i've teetered over the edge of 50 and actually one of the joys of of that is you do start to realize that your parents don't live forever and you know friends friends do age and get sick and it's a privilege it's a privilege that we get to live this life and it's a privilege that we get to enjoy this time and we're lucky if we manage to sustain, you know, but we do know life hopefully goes on longer. The drugs work for me. Thank you, medical science. Thank you for, you know, thank you for all those brilliant minds that got me and Jacob better. So, it, you know, it's, but it's, it's something I would still reflect on and, and I don't want anyone to be under any illusions. You know, we, we have very raggedy, difficult days still, but they get easier every day and life has got, thankfully for us, has got better every day. What a lovely perspective to have and what a lovely way to live life now. And even to know that, you know, with his MS, that it may not be forever, but you just want to get the most, squeeze the most out of every day that you can, whether it's a difficult one or it's a really delightful one, just to get get the most you can out of it. Thank you so much for sharing everything with us, Abby Morgan. I'm Your memoir is lovely. And, you know, I just can't thank you enough for sharing your experience with us. And I really want to push for our listeners to go out and get this is not a pity memoir, because it is when it comes to memoirs, it's truly exceptional. So thank you for being with us today and just for sharing your story. Thank you so much. And kiss those lovely children. I will. Thank you. And really <laughs> quick before we let you go, for those that want to know more, where can they follow you on social media or anything of the like? You can follow me on on, I'm on Instagram and my Instagram account, and I will tell you now because I can never remember who I am. I'm Abby. I'm Abby Morgan Nine on on Instagram, and I'm Abby Abby M on Twitter. Perfect, and we will have those in our show notes for our listeners as well. Abby Morgan, thank you so much for everything. Thanks today. so much. Have a good day. Bye. You know, it's funny because she speaks so openly and honestly about her life and how I think she used the word spooky to describe it. And that truly must have been how that felt because even just going through that with her, I was brought to tears through our interview because 
what it must take to get through something like that, not just to get yourself through something like that, but to get your family through it and your kids through it and to come out on the other end. She seems very happy and she seems very still driven and determined that every day and to squeeze the most out of every day. And what a lesson that is. And she is right. You know, a lot of the things that we talked about are printed on bumper stickers and on T-shirts and everything. But when having this conversation with her, that is truly what got them through every day. So I definitely feel invigorated to get the most out of every day. Even, you know, for me, I'm in those sleepless nights with a brand new baby. And so sometimes it's hard to find the inspiration every day because we're living in sheer exhaustion. But I feel so determined after that. And I'm so grateful to Abby for reminding me and all of us that every day is a gift. It truly is. Take that bumper stickers. <laughs> we hope you guys had enjoyed this episode of Directionally Challenged. We have another great one coming for you next week. Until then, take care and squeeze the most out of this day. Okay. <laughs> we'll see you soon. Directionally Challenged is a production of Pineapple Productions. Produced by Melissa D. Monts. Edited by Diane King. Post-production sound by Chris Henry. Music by Joe King. And advertising partnership with ACAST.